Hello and welcome to the Stories About My Ass podcast, field notes in film, glamping, and miniature donkey ownership. If you have been on the search for discussions about film, filmmaking, glamours, camping, retreats, some food, as well as small farm animals, you have found the podcast that is going to make all your dreams come true. I'm your host, Brandon Dickerson. Today on our program, I think you are going to enjoy a conversation with not only actor Richard Robichaud. My father and my mother both were very supportive of me in a way, almost like you would like a very exotic flower. They were like, don't touch it because the bloom may fade. They just didn't kind of know what to do with me. But you will also get to meet, for the first time probably, young and crazy talented actor Chris Carpenter. Oh, let's see. Yeah, Zark, the journey begins. I was I was actually probably more like seven or eight, but I, I must have watched some movie or something, and, and it it just kind of made me think, like, wait, I, I, I can do this, I guess. I have a camera. Richard and Chris got to meet each other on the set of the Orion Pictures and Gravitas Ventures film, Amanda and Jack Go Glamping, which is in theaters and on demand. And in fact, you should pause the podcast right now and go wherever you can rent streaming videos, whether it be iTunes or your cable provider or Amazon or Google or Vudu. We have actually been on a crazy promotional run, and I'm completely wiped out, to be honest. It started at the Austin Film Festival premiere, which was a complete blast. I hope you heard in the bonus episode the Q&A from that festival. And then we traveled to the Napa Valley Film Festival, which was amazing on several levels, not just a great festival with great food and great wine, but certainly at a time where they are rebuilding literally out of the ashes of a really difficult tragedy. So it was incredible to be there and lock arms with them as they courageously joined together to rebuild their community. It was incredible. Everyone we met there was amazing. And then we came back to Austin and did two screenings at the Alamo Draft House with a Q&A as well. And then last night, we came to Fredericksburg to the Fritztown Cinema for a sold-out screening and Q&A, which was an absolute blast. But I digress. You want a story. And so before we get to our conversation with these great and talented actors, I will give you yet another story. Growing up, my father used to say to me, what are you pretending not to know? And I hated it. I hated it when he'd say it because it usually was in reference to something in hindsight that I should have known all along. And if I was honest with myself, I was pretending not to know it for a variety of reasons. As I've grown older, I've come to learn that what are you pretending not to know is a very helpful tidbit of wisdom, and I've applied it at various times in my life. This is not one of those times. Now, just to clarify, I would say 99.5% of guests that we welcomed at Green Acres were amazing. Some of my favorite evenings around the campfire were getting to meet new people that were on vacation or just unplugging or writing or having a fun time with family. And I thoroughly enjoyed getting to be hospitable to a wide variety of people. But there are a half a handful of stories that seem worth sharing, like the one I did last week. And today I'll tell you about an independent musician artist that wanted to come unplug at the end of a very cool tour. Now, the idea of coming with his wife to relax sounded fantastic and exactly the kind of thing that we offer. 
Now, the first flag is when he asked about day passes, which we did not do for a variety of reasons. We're not the pool at the Soka Hotel for people to just sort of come in and out. We want people to enjoy a long season of unplugging, and dipping in and out really isn't what we offer. But he begged and pleaded and started giving me a scenario where two people would come out for a little bit, and then two others would come, and then those people would leave, and then four others would come, and then one would come for half a night, and then after the half of night, somebody else would come and trade, and it just continued to get more complicated and more complicated. And for some reason, it was just my empathy for this artist needing a retreat with his wife and needing to see friends that made me say, yes, okay, yes, okay, 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 yes, okay. If I was honest with myself, I knew it didn't pass the smell test. There were too many odd details around it, and I just decided to let it go and hope for the best. And this is what happened. We came home around dusk to see one of the yurts lit up in a way that certainly was not lit by any lights that we owned on the property. It was clear that they brought in their own lights, so as I walked over towards the yurt, the gentleman who had booked the room quickly zipped and unzipped the yurt to come out and greet me before I could get close to the yurt, and I heard the voice of his buddy. So I asked him what he was doing, and I also asked him where his wife was, and his wife had gotten sick. And so he had come with his buddy and they were just settling into the yurt. When I asked about the lighting, he said, we were just going to take a few photos, nothing commercial, but we just really love your yurt. And as I continued to try and get closer, he continued to try and block me. So I just took our conversation over to the barn where I discovered 40 dandelions laid out across the table in front of a giant buffalo mask. So imagine the scene. I'm being blocked from my yurt that is glowing in the night, and a closer look at the table shows a variety of props and the top of a large buffalo costume. It was obvious that he had not done even the slightest bit of homework that would have revealed on our site that we lived there and I was a filmmaker and would definitely know the difference between personal items and props. So I did the thing that anyone like me who likes avoiding conflict would do, and I just walked into my trailer and started pacing as best I could in a small trailer, to which Kirsten knew something was up, and so she went outside and had her own conversation and returned five minutes later to say, they are obviously filming something. What she could have said was, what are you pretending not to know? But what she said was, they are filming something, you need to go stop that. Now, it's helpful to know that we had made it very clear on our website at that time that we would not allow filming because we were filming our own movie at Green Acres and certainly didn't want it popping up in other places. So I walk out of the Spartan and head over to the yurt and do something that I love relying on a fantastic assistant director to do, and that is lay down the law. I love it when somebody else does that for me because when I do it, it sometimes comes out so friendly that they actually don't realize that I laid anything down. It was too nice, too kind, and they didn't understand at all that I was trying to make a point. So it's helpful to know my approach when I go in, knock on the yurt, and the guy quickly comes out, and I easily see in there that not only are there lights, but there are bizarre animal accoutrements that is being laid out. And I tell him, man, it's obvious you're filming something. And he says, what are you talking about? So I say, look, man, I'm a filmmaker. I totally get what's going on here. And I told you that we don't allow any filming. You knew that. You said you were coming out with your wife, and it's obvious your wife isn't sick. You've planned all along to come out with all of these props. 
And as I'm saying this, he's kind of folding his arms and taking it all in. And I continue. I say, tomorrow, it's clear that you're going to have crew guys come out. And you being a musician, I've done 150 music videos. I totally get that you're going to shoot a music video with that buffalo head. And then I start going into details about it's clear that anybody that brings a huge buffalo costume, as well as dandelions, is not just looking for retreat. And then he starts teetering as I start mentioning the day passes and then it's clear that the day passes are for crew members. And I said, man, you lied to me. And as I say, you lied to me, he teeters over and like a total plank just goes on his heels and bam, totally passes out on the floor. And I'm standing there thinking, is this an act? Is this performance art? Like, am I part of some weird art project documentary? And so not knowing if he's really passed out or just sort of continuing his artistic expression, I unzip the ear and I go, bro, your your buddy passed out. And so his friend comes out and starts fanning him and he really passed out. He was overwhelmed with so much guilt from lying that he passed out like a fainting goat. So as his friend fans him off and he comes to, the minute his eyes open, he goes into a confession rant that begins with just saying, man, I'm sorry. I knew I should have told the truth. I knew I should have been up front with you. I knew I should have asked. I knew this was wrong. My wife said I shouldn't have done it. And he just goes into this confession after confession after confession. In the third grade, I lied to my teacher and cheated on a test. And it was the most bizarro thing I have ever experienced. And after I calm him down, I say, man, you just need to take off. Just leave. (laughs) Just go. And he won't let me get away because he continues on this sort of confession rant about how bad he feels. I walk back into the trailer and Kirsten says, what happened? And I said, well, I gave the truth in love and the truth was so intense that he passed out. (laughs) She didn't believe me at first. And then I had her look out the window to see them quickly gathering their buffalo costumes and dandelions and daisies and lights and rearranging the yurt back to its original glory so they could just get out of there as quickly as possible with the buffalo tail between their legs. And as they drive away, it's as if my dad was saying to me, Brandon, what were you pretending not to know? And he would have been right. It was so obvious that things were not above board, and I, time after time after time, (laughs) made compromises that, if I was honest with myself, I knew something was up. I was pretending not to know. You would think that looking back, I have a ton of regret and I've learned a lot, and I'd like to say that that is true, but I think it's time for me to have my own confession, and that is that as he was falling back in what appeared to be slow motion and hit the ground, my first thought was, this is going to make an unbelievable story. Thanks, Dad. And now my conversation with Richard Robichaud and Chris Carpenter. Richard, Chris, are you there? Yes. Here, yes. Very nice. How are you guys? <laughs> Wonderful. Doing great. Yeah. How are you? Living the dream, as always. So since we're on a podcast, I'm going to let people know who you are. They should know who both of you are, but I will uh, do the introductions here. Richard Robichaud, you have been in quite a few Richard Linkletter films. Boyhood, of course, Bernie. You're also in both of his upcoming films, right? Last Flying Flag and Where'd You Go, Bernadette? And Where'd You Go, Bernadette. It's my fourth film. That's amazing. It's fantastic. 
Was Bernie your first with him? Yeah, it was my first movie with him. And it was my first movie in that I really got to play Texas, that I got to be in Texas, which is where I'm from. And I went to school in Nacogdoches at Stephen F. Austin Lumberjacks. Nice. uh, Actum Jacks. So to get to be in Bernie and play a character like that, and I'm from, my family's from Louisiana. It was just kind of great. I'd never been able to play that before. It's and, such um, a good role, too. It's, it's so good. Oh, so good. I loved it. And then to be, to sit down and you're like, oh, I mean, my, uh, you know, all these people are talking to me about, oh, Jack Black, who was awesome. But I was excited about Shirley MacLaine. I was like, because I'm a film buff. And I, oh, my God. I was like, you're Shirley MacLaine. It was incredible. That's amazing. I want to actually, I want to dig into that a a bit more. Um, You've also done, you've done TV from Dust Till Dawn, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, and then of course theater, everything from Shakespeare Theater in Washington, Yale Repertory Theater. And you are so fancy. I know. It doesn't sound amazing. Just Shakespeare and Yale and Mark Taper, Syracuse. It's, uh, it's pretty impressive. Pretty impressive. And then, I love that you are also a professor started. um, You were the head of acting at Penn state and now you are at UCSD. Yeah. I, you know, what's really crazy is that I have, I, when I I got my MFA from Rutgers and I got to work with uh, William Esper and Maggie Flanagan, who were arguably two of the the greatest acting teachers of the last 50 years. And they um, were generous to me and kind and took me under their wing and sort of tapped me on the shoulder. I taught a little bit at Rutgers while I was there. And then when I went to New York, I started working. And um, this casting director was doing an on-camera class at Juilliard. And she said, oh, I love you. You're so great. And it'd be great for the students to hear from an actor what it's like. And so she said, do you want to do this class with me? So I I think I'm the only person who started teaching at Juilliard. (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) It's so insane. And I was just out of school, not long, but I, and so that's why she wanted it. And I sort of translated for the students what she meant. You know, a casting director would say something like, uh, you know, just um, uh, less. And so that's a hard thing to tell an actor because then you, 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 you don't really know what that means. Like, so do less acting. And mm. I, so I was able to translate it into, no, she wants you to be more real. Right. And so that it needs to be more. You can act more, less. You, if you, once you start taking away. Anyway, and it's just, that's how I started. It was a four-week course. And, and then some people liked what I did and wanted me to coach them. And then, some, and then I started to get all these universities wanting me to come in for the weekend and do these workshops. And then, then it kind of went from there. And I, I've never stopped teaching. I love, love, love it. I taught today. That's amazing. I want to hear yes. more about this. And, and this is a nice segue to introduce... Chris Carpenter, because the two of you oh, yeah. got to work together on mm-hmm. Amanda and Jack Go Glamping. And we'll talk a bit about that because you're just yeah. fantastic together. Uh, Chris, yeah. you you started in theater. You were at the Zach Theater in Pinocchio, The King and I, Evita, James and the Giant Peach. And I've told yes. you this before, I think, that Kirsten, my wife, and, and uh, family had gone and seen you in the King and I actually, and came home and said, you need to work with this kid. That was, <laughs> that's, that was my intro to Chris Carpenter's acting. And <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. How, how long have you been doing things at Zach? At Zach, um, 
for a while. Yeah. I mean, probably since I was nine or 10 years old, so four or five years, really. Um, yeah, I did, I did Pinocchio when I was, I think 10. So yeah, it's been, I, I love that place so much. It's so much fun. And that's great. And from there you did short films, box miles and the monster yeah. ignition, all of which I have seen and you're great. And it was, uh, oh, amazing to see the two of you come together in the film. I want to, I want to talk about the very first time that you got into acting. Richard, why don't you tell me like, was it, were you young? Was it older? When did you say, this is what I want to do? This is a terrifying parenting story. (laughs) I want to hear it. (laughs) And a wonderful parenting story in that my father and my mother both were very supportive of me in a way, almost like you would like a very exotic flower. They were like, don't touch it because the bloom may fade. They just didn't kind of know what to do with me. And it was so great because they were like, well, he's really into this stuff and he's really funny. And so my dad went to this bar in Houston that was called Cooters. And every Thursday night, they had a talent show that was adults. And so he said, well, my boy is pretty funny. And um, he wanted me to do the stand-up for them. And he was, So he told me, he got me in, and he was like, you're going to perform next Thursday. So I kind of had to like write material. So I'm, I was in wow. grade, and I started writing my own stand-up material, which included an impersonation of Jimmy Carter nice. and nice. an impersonation of Dudley Moore from Arthur. So you can see my two influences. <clears throat> that is so good. I was, I was uh, remembering Arthur... Recently, because, oh. you know, Orion released Amanda Jack. Yes. And so I just went through the list of kind of all oh. the Orion films and Arthur. Chris, That's have it. you have you seen Arthur? I bet you haven't. I haven't. No. Yeah. Homework. Homework. Yeah, we're going to give you, <laughs> over the course of this discussion, we're going to give yeah. you some homework. <laughs> it is a true romantic mm. comedy. Which is, which is interesting because that's like what Amanda and Jack go glamping is. It's right. truly romantic. And truly funny. It's not a comedy with a romance thrown in. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Oh yeah. It, that it's at, it's equally both of those things. And I th- and Arthur is like boy that oh. and Tootsie at oh. that time. Oh, I love Tootsie. Those are yeah. two unbeatable romantic comedies. I mean, to- just oh. boy, they're good. And that whole Tootsie, I, I watched it recently. Watched it with the whole oh. family, and Tootsie it's Pollock. just Ooh. a perfect. Film. It really it is. is. It it's really, really is. Yeah. God, Jessica Lang. Mm. Oh my God. You know, he doesn't often gets all the credit for obvious reasons, but Terry Gar and 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 Jessica Lang are so alive in that film. They're just so watchable. And really. a great Bill Murray too. Bill oh, Murray. So yes. Oh yeah. And we take it for granted that he's always that good. Uh, we just take it for granted. It's so it's it's it should be harder than that is. So how old were you at the time? Cooters uh, that you could yes, write a well better. Done. You could not write a better. Oh, I know. I was you doing stand up. It was called Cooters and it was the gong show at Cooters. And the judge was a Derek Dahl, which was one of the Houston uh, uh, Oilers, the old football team from Houston, mm-hmm. one of their cheerleaders. And I This is what I really remember so truthfully. I mean, physiologically, I remember how my knees were shaking so bad that I was worried that people could see my knees shaking and I had a little suit on. And um, I uh, this is like late night school night and I'm in the parade and I'm like working a bar. So I did it and I won one hundred dollars, which was like 
Well, oh, that's I'm huge. Yeah. I mean, sign me up, man. Yeah, that was <laughs> it. Yeah, that was <laughs> it. Then I'm sitting on a Derek doll's lap as she's like congratulating me, and I, it was I'm, I mean, I loved it. And so then in the fourth grade, there were several Friday mornings when Mrs. Fleck let me sleep during recess because Richard had a gig the night before. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if anybody has a better story than I won $100 on a gong show at Cooters and I never looked back. And for you, Chris, you you made a film called Zarth, if I'm not mistaken. I did, yeah. Wow. Yeah, Zarth. Tell us about Zarth and how old were you? Oh, let's see. Yeah, Zarth, the journey begins. I was... I was probably like six years old. Oh, six I'm or sorry. Seven. I'm sorry. I got it wrong. Zarth, the journey begins. Is that the full title? Yeah. <laughs> my mistake. <laughs> I, I didn't do my research properly. <laughs> yeah, no, that was... Um, He's an implied colon in there. Exactly. Brandon. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I was... Well, it's, I was actually probably more like seven or eight, but yeah, I don't really know. I I, I must have watched some movie or something, and, and it, it just kind of made me think like, wait, I... I, I can do this, I guess. I have a camera. So I was like, hey, yeah. let's try it. So I, so I got my friends together and we wrote out a story. And uh, yeah, every time I think about it, I'm like, oh, that, that must be so bad. But then I watch it and I'm like, I actually had some kind of neat ideas, like <laughs> like cinematography and stuff. I'm like, wow, I'm impressed. That's, I love that. Your early work, your early work. Yeah. So you were creative then, but then you realized that you actually were pretty good at acting as well. Yeah, I guess I really hadn't done any acting before Zarth, so... So it was yeah. really Zach that... When when you sort of got in the theater program and... Yeah, I did. I did. There was kind of this, like, half-acting class that we did at school in, in second and third grade where it was called Process Drama, and um, it wasn't directly an acting class, but it was more we, we had this um, world that we created and, and uh, basically the whole school. And we built these characters, and we just kind of played as these characters for an hour. Oh God, that's incredible. It was really fun. Yeah, I've seen it. it, it that was at the time where – so we also knew each other because my kids went to the same school yeah. you did. And my daughter in particular just loved process drama. And it's really a, a kind of a form of improv. It is, yeah. So totally. valuable. So valuable. And they keep cutting drama programs from uh, schools and um, more STEM and more STEM – that kind of human contact and human interaction is how to creatively problem solve. It, it, there's there are great learning benefits from drama mm-hmm. in that way. That would, that's, yeah, even if you never apply it to screen or stage, just absolutely. sort of life skills. Yeah, yes, go. Well, yeah, work at Citibank, but remember the empathy you learned whenever you were, uh, you know, curly or whatever. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know? Oh, it's so good. I don't know if Curly had a lot of empathy, but you know what I mean. <laughs> I do. So on this podcast, we talk about we're the only podcast that combines film, filmmaking, glamorous camping, boutique retreats, and small farm animals. So that's sort of our niche in the podcast universe. But you sort of hit the zeitgeist with us, right? <laughs> exactly. I kind of nailed it. I get all of them in one one fell swoop. But as <laughs> as a not only as a filmmaker, but kind of a film fan. You can imagine ever since. In fact, it was when I was at school, I remember going to the Dobie Theater with my buddy Brian Belknap and seeing Slacker and just this guy, oh. Richard Linkletter. So, wow. I, I, you know, tell me what it's like to work with him. I'm so fortunate because he's such a fan of mine, which is so great. And I'm such a fan of his and that it's so easy to be a fan of his. 
I mean, the truth is, you don't always say that about, with, about the people you work with. And sometimes it really does feel like business where you're like, okay, let's get this done. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes you get to work with people, I would include the two of you, that you say, this is a person who leads with kindness. Mm. That, that, that's what they lead with. They could, they could lead with all sorts of stuff, but they lead first mm. with their humanity and their kindness. And then Rick is an artist, first and foremost. And um, everything comes from that. And so when you work with him, you really do feel like that. You feel like you're working with him and not for him. And I've certainly had directors where you feel like, oh, oh, we are working for you. This is this is what this is, which really mm-hmm. what it does to the actor is it then suddenly someone gets to be the famous chef and I'm just the waiter. Oh, that makes and, sense. Oh, and, yeah. And where I'm just supposed to serve the deliciously beautifully, perfectly prepared food that's been cooked with tweezers and I'm not supposed to screw it up. And um, I, I, that's not that's normally not a place I'm I don't like that position as an actor. I, I've, I'm a collaborator really well having worked mm-hmm. with you i couldn't imagine it, it would just be such a waste of your talent and, and i feel this about certainly all of our casts and anyone that's sort of bringing something to the party just you're incredibly collaborative and you bring ideas L- last night the film played the film played in fredericksburg and it just oh, chris you were here and there was just you yeah. know how screenings go well i mean austin was amazing our premiere was amazing Last night, I can't even explain the way the audience was responding. Oh. <laughs> it was just this treat. I, I couldn't stop smiling. Amazing, yeah. But, you know, the, the thing that you – a good example of what I think you're talking about is in the scene that the two of you are together and there you, you go in that banter about – he says, you have a lot of tidbits of wisdom. Uh, David Arquette says a lot of tidbits <laughs> of wisdom. And you say, we have a lot of free time in the country. The laughter yeah. was so hard, but it was perfect because the laughter finally died down when you said, time to, you know, ponder the deep yeah. stuff. And it's that follow-up that you brought to the party. It was scripted to say, yes. can God make a rock so big? Even he can't lift it. But then what you did, you let it breathe. And Chris, you did an amazing job of staying in character. But you said, mm. don't tell me if you know the answer. I just love that question. <laughs> that just, was so amazing. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> a lot of people around here sure have a lot of tidbits of wisdom they like to share. We've got a lot of free time in the country. Time to ponder the deep shit. Like, can God make a rock so big that even he can't lift it? Don't tell me if you know the answer. I just love that question. That's a good one, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> but that's a perfect example. That I didn't write that. You brought oh. that to the character, and it just kills it. It kills me. Oh, that's so and funny. The, and the timing of it is what it, so is perfect. so – Yeah, it's wow. so brilliant. And getting to see it, you know, we've been kind of on tour as the film came out in theaters, and it's been – so fun to see it in in large theaters, you know, darkened theaters, and see the timing of it. But I know you got oh, to okay. see it at the premiere. But the following five times was just a treat to see the way that oh, that you know the timing plays off. And Chris, for you, okay, so so that's Richard Linkletter. You had done yeah. student films, so tell me on the other side your experience. I know you've done a handful mm-hmm. of student films. Tell me about that experience, working with literally directors on their first shot out. 
Yeah. Um, so the first one I filmed was Miles and the Monster. And uh, there was a lot of pre-production work that went into it, even like for the for the actors, too. So it was it was me and then my the actor who played my father and also this girl named Molly who played the uh, the dinosaur. And uh, we did a lot of rehearsing beforehand. So I got I got this really like deep connection and just like friendship with the director. His name was Dio. And he was such a cool guy. And uh, it was pretty awesome because, yeah, I, I hadn't. Like even though it was a student film, it still felt very professional, and and everyone was still taking it really seriously. And uh, yeah, it was it was pretty cool getting to work with Dio because it made me realize how uh, like directors aren't like they're they're like friends to you. Like you collaborate, you work together. Like it's it's it was really cool to uh, to kind of realize that from that experience. It sounds like you had a similar you know as Richard said, working with you, not for you. You're working with him, not yeah, for him. Yeah, so even yeah, yeah, even similar. yeah, I think Dio's got a big future. I've seen that film and I've met him. So I think I think mm-hmm. he's going to go far. That's a good segue into you know teaching Richard. You getting the opportunity to to work as a teacher, and I even saw you know the two of you have a bit of a mentorship uh, on mm-hmm. set, which was amazing. Mm-hmm. And just to fully disclose, Richard, when you weren't there, Chris was asked to Napa his favorite. Uh, moment and he said getting getting to work with you was a highlight of the, the oh, shoot true. so yeah answer it just like we rehearsed yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can pay him later pay him later well done son <laughs> yeah. well done. but what's your advice if you had one thing do you find that there's one thing that you come to when you're in a workshop or in a master's class or something is there one thing that you that you lead with well i I'll tell you what I leave with is when I usually end, if I'm giving a, a speech at a conference or I do uh, a lot of teaching teachers, but especially with students, is that I say, I will not say good luck to you, though you will need a little. I will say <laughs> good work to you because you will need more of that. Oh, that's mm-hmm. good. And that, so I just wish people, and I wish Chris, good work. I just wish you, Brandon, good work in your future. And the luck part, we really don't get to, that's just not our business. We, that's, that's, a, a bigger, that's a bigger player working on that. But the work part is us. And so, uh, you know, I love that Chuck Close quote where he says, uh, uh, inspiration is for amateurs, you'll find me working. Mm, that's good. It's a great quote. Mm. And I, I love that. It's that, you know, we all know those actors, you know, talking about actors who sort of point at the television or point at the movie screen and, and then just sort of cross their arms and harumph. And then we also know those people like what Chris is talking about, about going out and going, so I made a film. So I, I did this. And so I think the doing is everything of just like find yourself working and then eventually you'll find yourself working. And how do you take that? This is a question that I wanted to ask anyway, and you're sort of teeing it up perfectly. But how do you tell someone like that or even personally the idea, you know, a film comes out, you've done something and and it's usually this mixture of praise and critique. And sometimes sometimes the praise is, you know, the emperor has no clothes and and it's a bit more than maybe is deserved. But then quite often the, the critique is harsh and feels more like a Trump tweet than an actual review. How do you handle that? Yeah, well, that's, I mean, that's the job. That's the job. And what part of it is, it, this is the only job where, you know, it, it would be like, I have, a, I have two kids. I have a son, uh, Gus, and my daughter, Viv. My son is nine, my daughter's five. 
it, you know, it's Thanksgiving, so we're getting lots of uh, turkeys made out of your hand on a paper plate. Exactly. Um, you know, those things. It, it would be as if my son brought that to me and said, well, you put this in the fridge. And I looked at it and I went, yeah, but this isn't a real turkey. Exactly. And he would, so it doesn't go in the fridge. And he would go, yeah, but I, I did it. And this is where I did it. And I had fun doing it. And this is, I'm a kid. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. Like, yeah, but it's not a real turkey. Well, that, yeah, you don't think it's a real turkey, but listen, it's going on my fridge. And so I, I think what we do is similar to that. We make these films, we work so hard. We, we build friendships, connections. We employ people, we employ artists, which is a, a, a great high cause and then the rest, I don't know, it's really gravy. If you get a good review, that's just gravy. If not, I mean, that's just what you got to deal with. I mean, you, you just got to do what you were doing. And so if, if one person doesn't put it on their fridge, well, then that's great. You don't want to be on their fridge. Yeah. I was just having this conversation yeah. with my son about the, the calling to be faithful over the calling to be successful. Like Ooh. you – Ooh, like oh, you said, mm. yeah, I, I'm not, you know, yes. my, my calling is not success, but I have to be faithful. Yes. And I've said this to my students and, and I, I mean this so deeply. And it took me the first few years of my career to really realize this. Is that I started to view my successes and I had started to make a little money. I started to, to book things that I thought were important. And then I, so certain members of my family were like, well, they didn't really know what Sundance was. So they were like, okay. They didn't really know what Juilliard was or Yale was. Or, or like, okay, great. But then when I was on All My Children, they were like, oh my God. <laughs> A job that I almost didn't take. It's like, oh my God, you've made it. And I realized, yeah. oh, I've been trying to live out your version of success. Yeah. That's... And so that's why it's felt so empty when I've brought my turkey to you to put on the fridge and you've been like oh yeah but that's not what i see as a as that yeah. if it's, it's an a, all my children turkey then it's exactly successful which is a total turkey which yeah. is a total turkey but for I, me i feel like success for me personally is if my work is respected by those whose work i respect mm, that's great i i don't need oh, strangers yeah. in an airport to think i'm fancy I want Brandon Dickerson and Chris Carpenter to think I'm fancy because yeah. there were I respect their work, which we so do, by the way, for the record. That's what, yeah. <laughs> and so, but does, does that clarify that? You know? Oh, completely, completely. Yeah. yeah, and it's interesting, you know, making a film that's about, you know, that begins with someone, you know, the beginning of the, the of Amanda and Jack begins with him sort of listening in his head to that internal oh, yes. critique when really what he should do is get out of the car and care what his wife and kids think. But he's in there caring what yeah. literally the first frame of the film, he's caring about what critics think and not paying attention to his wife and kids, which are the ones that, that really matter. And they, they think he's awesome as a father and it sure. needs to and that, and get those over are the that. relationships yeah. that are suffering. He needs to put his ass in front of a typewriter and work. Yes, he does. Exactly. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I love what you said about work. How, how has this been for you, Chris? Because you're, you know, I've been on all these red carpets with you and I'm just thinking, how are you processing wow. this whole yeah. experience? Yeah. Uh, like it's everything. It's, it's pretty, it's unbelievable. Mm. So it's crazy to, uh, to think like it's all finally happening, you know, and uh, seeing everyone again too, is just, absolutely amazing and kind of re reuniting and uh hearing all these stories i've forgotten about from from you know <laughs> you guys and from david it's 
it's really cool just like knowing that everyone you know everyone still cares about the project and uh there's still all this energy around it um it's it's amazing and and that's what matters exactly and that's why we keep doing it yeah yeah it's exactly you just you know you if you feel great you just you keep doing it you don't worry about what what other people think yeah a hit is a lot of luck and uh, it, it, that, it, but people keep doing it because th- we enjoy doing it. We enjoy the doing of it. And I would say that most painters don't see art as carrying a glass of red wine at a gallery opening. They see art as the the hours in the studio. Yeah. Exactly. And you know, that's one of the challenges of, I think, tell me if you guys would agree with this, but there's potentially more opportunity to work on your craft, literally work, although I may backpedal now because I have a different opinion, but you know, you don't get to practice feature films. You don't get to paint 50 canvases. You don't get to write 20 songs and then have one. Right. Well, see, yeah. I mean, that's harder on you, Brandon, because I say I'm a character actor, so I could do a hundred films a year. I mean, I could do, I mean, I have four films coming out in nine months. That's amazing. But that's because <laughs> I'm, you know, I come in like a little Cajun raccoon uh, and I just to bring it back to animals. And I, I, like a Cajun, I come in, I steal my little scenes and then I'm out of there. Yeah. And so I don't yeah. have to do the hard work of carrying a film because I'm a character actor. So I can do, I can open four films and work the total of like 20 days. So whereas, you know, you're the only director and it takes yeah. you a year or two or three or five or like with Bernie, 12 years to get the movie made. Bernie, Bernie took that long. Bernie took 12 years. But Bernie was on that was he had had that property for, I think, 12 years. Wow. No wonder he was wow. fine to do Boyhood. He's like, you know what? I'd take 12 years anyway. I'll just shoot a little bit every year every movie of his is about time anyway so he's like i've got time Mm -hmm. he's so zen in that way but and then afterwards you promote the film and you do everything it's so much harder for a director Uh, the actors i think really have it easy we get to pop in and out of projects it's true the the thing that i was as i was saying this and setting this up i actually i went the route of commercials and music videos and that actually Uh gave me time to work on the craft the sort of technical aspects because of the speed mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah and you uh, got to play so on the music videos you write the ideas so uh just creatively music videos were fun and then commercials they weren't certainly passion projects to sell jc penny or chilies right. or converse or whatever but you got to play with the toys you got to yeah. you know work with yeah. You know, cruise and see how those things worked. But you know what's interesting is I made the mistake on my first film. I love relationship is everything in in yeah. in everything. And so um I took the idea of kind of working with those people you knew. The thing I learned though is that not everyone that's a different beast. A commercial and a music video is a yeah. completely different beast than a film. And there were some that I brought from commercials and music videos into the feature filmmaking that thrived. And there were others that just after day three, I, I lost them. And I realized, oh, yeah, they never. You think it was stamina? Oh, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I think it was just they were, it was stamina. They weren't, they were sprinters. 
They were, right. they were, some people are. Mm-hmm. yeah. And you, and I would never know that because I only worked with them two days at a time. So I, I had this revelation on day nine that half of my crew was gonna, was like, not, I had to give big pep talks. Well, and it's, it's no surprise that with Seronia, your, your film, you, you worked with Amy Acker and yeah. then worked with her again. This is not a new idea of that. We, and it, it, it was, and I would say it's probably not because of what happened after the film, but what happened during the film. Mm-hmm. And it, the mm-hmm. reason that Rick continues to cast me is that he goes, I, I believe, he goes, I, I can trust Richard with really big people that he's going to vet and he's going to bring something. I mean, sometimes he'll just go, you, you, you got something funny. Come on. It's like, <laughs> That's it's, amazing. He trusts me uh, to be on there. And you, God, uh, it's so much easier to go to a hen house than rather than to go Easter egg hunting. Tell me what you mean by that. Uh, it's, it's so much easier to go, I know that hen house has got fantastic eggs. Oh, God. I'm going to go there. Yeah. Well, other, rather than, well, we woke up this morning and then we might have omelets. Let's go look. Like, let's cross mm. our and go Easter egg Take hunting. a risk. And Yeah, exactly, Chris. And then hope I find the right actor for this. Instead, just go to the hen house I like. Yeah. Yeah, and you're right about Amy. I That's mean, back I, to animals. There you That's go. I like the way you're tying it in. We have a lot of farm animals already in this uh, in this podcast. We'll continue my conversation with Richard and Chris in a moment, but first, it's the time on our show where we go into my son's room and have that Mason movie minute or two, where my movie loving son tells us a film that he thinks we all need to see. Hello and welcome to the Mason Movie Minute coming to you from Mason's bedroom mm-hmm. where I am currently looking at three Ramune. Ramune bottles below a looming Godzilla. Yes. Looking down upon us. Mason, welcome to your program. Thank you for having me. What is your movie for today? The movie for today is most definitely Eraserhead. Eraserhead directed by David Lynch. Nice. When was it released? Racerhead was released in 1977. 77. Yes. I was six years old when this came out. I was negative <laughs> something <laughs> years many. old. Many. Many, yeah. many. Okay. Tell me, I know the answer, but our listening audience does not know mm. when you saw this film and where you saw this film. Yeah. Well, I saw it with you in New York at the IFC theater at a midnight showing and I hadn't seen a Lynch film before. And it was really fun. It was like a really good movie. <laughs> Tell me more about that. So it's one I've wanted to watch for a while. I thought it'd be cool to just watch it at midnight in New York. Because then you have a distinct memory with it. And it was really good. not Like really awesome. And I was afraid it was going to kind of just be like weird and stupid. But I loved it. And I, I don't know. I watch a lot of really, really weird movies. Like making an eraser head almost look kind of tame. <laughs> so this is probably like the least weird movie of the weird movies I want to recommend that I can recommend here. So that's why I'm recommending Eraserhead. Nice. It's weird, but not too weird. Yeah. It was a 4k print. Yes. uh, That he had redone and I had never seen it projected. Yes. Uh, There is a weird, there's animals sort of in Eraserhead. Yeah. There are like some, some weird alien things. It's like these weird little, Aliens swimming around. We got like the fetus baby. <laughs> the horrible thing is I was just about to reference how two days ago we were eating somewhere 
And you lifted up a piece of the food. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, this looks kind of like the aliens from Eraserhead. Dude. I think that was very intentional on Lynch's part. Because the entire movie is kind of about, like, I guess, like, sexual anxiety and, like, parental anxiety. So it's a pretty gross metaphor for that. But it works. It makes you feel uncomfortable. Yeah. I'm uncomfortable even talking about this. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I am, too. <laughs> anyway. All right. Eraserhead. What else do you want to say about this film? I mean, I don't want to sell it short on its weirdness. It's a really weird movie. And it's just kind of one of those movies you just kind of have to turn your brain off and just experience for like what it is. Like it doesn't have a very, it doesn't really have a story. It's just a lot of imagery, and like metaphors. And you just feel it. You just feel it. You don't understand it, which is good. And I think it's like a really unique experience. And it's a really cool and like disgusting, but awesome movie. It's bold filmmaking, yes. for sure. I want to see that documentary about him. Oh, yeah. I heard it was great. Yeah. looks really good. All right. We will leave it there. Eraserhead, the original David Lynch mm-hmm. film. Strange. Uh, some metaphors that I did not realize before and was educated by my son. A little uncomfortable. Uncomfortable, so. but factual. Yes. Proud of you. Thank you. So part of our show, I I talk about all things re, the idea of restoring or rebooting or retreat or renewal. And those things inspire me. Uh, That that theme is is in the film we worked on. But something interesting is you turned me on to this poet. Tony, am I saying his, his name right? Hoagland? Yes. Tony Hoagland. Oh, man. Tell me about him. Uh, when I read your script, I loved your script, and I had worked with Kathleen uh, Sutherland, uh, who was a producer on Boyhood, and who was a producer on Amanda and Jack O'Clamping, which is how we met. So when I got the script, and she was in love with the script, and she was in love with you, and um, uh, and spoke about you, like, you know, this is an artist. And then I read your script, and I, I couldn't agree more, and it reminded me of certain Tony Hoagland poems which is about the greatest compliment I could give your writing. Oh, it's beyond everything you just said right now is over the top and uh, I'll pay you later, but thank you. Thank you for reading what I sent you in an email before. (laughs) But so after we met and we, and you graciously said, yeah, let's, I I think we found our Jim a, uh, I sent you a book of his, uh, he, he teaches at university of Houston, which is uh, just another sort of meta idea that he's right there. But, um, brilliant poet his you know one of his books was nominated for a national book award and he's he's a very very fancy poet but boy his poems are so real and so clear and right god right now there's um i just read one of his poems to my class and i i I love him and poetry for me is talk about renewal is how i fill up and heightened language and finding truth in heightened language is why i think i have the freedom to improvise the way i do and you know, me even saying like the line in the movie where I say, don't, I just love that question is part of my reading of Rilke and uh, Letters to a Young Poet, where mm-hmm. in the beginning he says, live the questions. And I thought, you know, sometimes you don't want the answer to a question. You just want to live it. You know, what's amazing is that uh, Aiden Canto is way into that book. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You'll have to connect oh, really? with him on that. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah, I know. Well, hey, would you guys humor me? Because I want to read just if I was listening to this podcast, I would want to know what you're talking about. And as I've revisited this poetry, I understood what you were saying. And this this poem I want to read 
or just read a few excerpts from called Social Life. I feel feel like it is the theme of, you know, what we talk about sort of in the film. It relates to the idea of kind of the the party crowd, sort of the festive nature, and then how do you kind of get into nature and reflect. So I'm going to read some of this and then maybe we could talk about how both of you find restoration or retreat or renewal. Okay? Yes. All right. Here we go. It's social life. And he begins like this. After the first party peters out, like the gradual slowdown of a merry-go-round, another party begins. And the survivors of the first party climb into the second one and start it up again. Behind me now, my friend Richard is getting a fresh drink. Anna in her black dress is fanning her chest. Cynthia is prancing from group to group, making kissy face. It is not given to me to understand the social pressures of my species, But I think what they get from these affairs is what bees get from flowers, a nudging Mm. of the stamen, a sprinkle of pollen about the head and shoulders. (laughs) So good. And then and then he goes on um, with that punch at the end. Yeah. Oh, he Mm. says, which I prefer the feeling of going away. So then he kind of, you know, gets away from this party. Uh, Whereas I prefer the feeling of going away, going away, stretching out my distance from the voices and the lights until the tether breaks. And then what I like about the trees is how they do not talk about the failure of their parents. And what I like about the grasses is that they are not grasses in recovery. And what I like about the flowers is that they are not flowers in need of empowerment or validation. They sway upon their thorny stems as if whatever was about to happen next tonight was sure to be completely interesting. And then, and then he finishes it like this. I stand still and listen to the breeze streaming through the upper story of a tree and the hum of insects in the field, letting everything else have a word. And then another word. Because silence is always good manners and often a clever thing to say when you're at a party. Oh, come on. That's so good. Masterful. To be that elevated and that, and it's a, this is a word that I often talk to my students that's not used enough in art, I don't think, is that I don't think we traffic very much in words like right or wrong, which gets back to your thing about critics. But I do think that we need to traffic in the word accuracy. Mm. Is that, is that as accurate as we can be? And I tell you, Tony Hoagland is accurate. There is an accuracy to what he says and how he says it that is undeniable. So true. Oh, thank you for sharing him with me. And I'm, oh, yeah. I'm so glad. I'm just so glad. I, I'm so happy to, uh, I'm sort of like a, a, like a, a Johnny Appleseed of poetry. And I just, I knew that you would love him. I thought, God, the way you write. And I thought, and, and the issues that you were specifically talking about, about the delicate balance of success and all that stuff. I just really saw it. Mm. Yeah, you were spot on. I love it, love it, love it. How, how oh, do you good. guys unplug? Chris, so you're, you know, I would think, tell me if I'm off, but you've got a million things coming at you. You've got all these yeah. friends. You've got all your projects. And then I would assume that technology is coming at you nonstop. I've yeah. seen you, you know, live feed your playing, you guys playing in a band. So how do you find 
time away or, or do you, do you find down? Do you even need it? Yeah. 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 I don't want to assume that you do, but do you? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, I can definitely like when I get kind of into a flow with, with different projects I have going on, I can definitely, uh, keep going. And I'm always, I've always kind of got this adrenaline, but it's also true that there's, I always kind of reach this point where I kind of, I'm done. Like I just kind of, I need a, a break. And it, it's funny, like when I was doing uh, James and Giant Peach at Zach Theater, um, I was James. So I was, I'd be there at every rehearsal for, um, I think it was four weeks every day for like six hour days. And then during tech week, which is like the final week um, where we're, putting in all the tech and doing it on stage. There was one day where um, like second or third to last rehearsal, it was toward the end. And it was such a strange thing because I'd been so energized for the past three weeks and it was this, this crazy, unbelievable, like awesome experience. And then just that day something happened and I literally just like couldn't think straight. Oh. Like the director would tell, tell me to do things. And I was like, I was just kind of like, yeah, like, okay. And I, I'd go do it. And like, I, I still knew what was going on. I wasn't like unconscious or, or anything, but like, I felt a big difference kind of in, uh, just in the way I, I thought and, and process things. So that was, it, it was crazy. And that was kind of the first time I'd ever done something so much that it just completely like drained me. Yeah. yeah. Drained me out. And how did you recover from that? Well, from that, Really, from that I had no choice. I had to keep going. Um, but I got home from rehearsal that day and pretty much went straight to sleep. Um, tried to get as much sleep as possible, and like it ended up being all right. But it was just that that day that was crazy. But um, yeah, when stuff like that has happened in the past, um, I always find myself being like refreshed and relaxed after I uh, usually. I mean, just walking around, I guess, and kind of thinking thinking about things, but at the same time, just letting my mind kind of not think about everything I have going on. Yeah. Yeah. And also kind of immersing myself in new projects too, like unrelated things. Like um, I'll start writing a script for a short film or something that I want to create. And that'll kind of just get my mind off of it. And I'll be able to just think about something else for a while. That really helps. That sounds like solid advice, walking and sort of clearing your mind of all that or, or going into another project. How about for you, Richard? Where do you retreat, restore, replenish? I have two things that I do. And I, because I travel a lot, I'm a big architecture fan. Mm. And so I usually, I usually know a building I want to see in the town. And so I'll go and spend a little time in that building and uh, see it. And nobody's watching me or asking me to do anything. And so it's just me filling up. I, I'm a museum rat. I love to go to museums. And then... I, uh, so I'm always going to, and that's usually coincides with also the building of note in any town mm-hmm. is usually the, the museum. And then at 44, I started piano lessons. And so I can tell you that today before I taught, if my students hear this, they'll now know what I was doing in my office. I have a keyboard in my office and uh, the 30 minutes before I teach to sort of prepare my brain to, to go take care of them and not take care of myself is I practice. So I'm trying to learn uh, Christmas time is here and um, for the holidays. I so love that. I, oh, cool. I'm practicing that. So I practice that for 30 minutes today. Then that way I don't get, need to get my ego food from anybody else because I'm yeah. already full. That's great. I, uh, that's what the ukulele is, is for me. Oh, yeah? Yeah. But the thing I love about it is you can take it anywhere. Guitar is a little yeah, bit more of a nice. commitment, but the ukulele I can just have in my that's car. True. I have two more two more questions for for you guys before I let you go. Yeah. 
I love asking just because I'm always interested in your favorite film you've seen the last year. And it cannot be Amanda and Jack of Lamping. It's not a right. – you can't, can't be that one. I loved 20th Century Women. Mm, I haven't seen um, it. Oh, I just loved it. I wanted to be – you know, there are certain movies – uh, and now I will say Amanda Jago Glamping is one of these, is that you want to be inside. Mm. There are certain movies that you want to watch and then certain movies where you go, I want to, I don't want to be in the movie. I want to be inside the movie. I want to live in that town. I want to know those people. I want to make that my life. Yeah. And 20th Century Women, Annette Benning, oh, it's so good. And it's, it's Santa Barbara in the 70s. And you're like, oh, I want to be in that movie. I loved it. Billy Crudup was fantastic. He's so good. But really, Annette Benning, just a pure acting animal. Just yeah. beautiful to watch. I, I will put that on my to-watch list. I do a segment where my son gives us films that he wants us to see, and they're so beautifully obscure. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> they'll, they'll be like uh, South Korean New Wave. You know, he'll tell right? us a film from that. It's just it's amazing. His, his film knowledge has surpassed mine. In a, wow, in a wow, big wow, way. Wow. How about for you, Chris? Wow. What's the best film you've seen? You're a huge Wonder Woman fan. Admit it. Uh, yeah. yeah. I love Wonder yeah. Woman. Was yeah. that going to be I your mean, answer? I trumped, your, I trumped your answer. That's not I, cool at all. What's, what would be your favorite? I mean, honestly, well, hmm, I'd probably have to say Wonder Woman, yeah. I did, yes. I, I, saw, I saw Wonder Woman six times in the theater. <laughs> hey, <laughs> yes. That's more time than I saw. Right now. Uh, Wait, you're the domestic growth? <laughs> you are, yeah. yeah you're yeah. the reason it's such a mega hit. Incredible. Yeah. Well, I I literally have like five Justice League posters up in my room right now, which Wonder Woman is in, which I'm seeing tomorrow for the first time. So, oh, that's so awesome. Tomorrow? Yeah. Oh, that's tomorrow, great. Yeah. By the uh, time people listen to this podcast, the film will be out. So what's your prediction? And you got to stick to it because this will come out you know, oh. in the future. And so yes. what's your prediction? Okay. Uh, Is it going to be beloved? Think, oh, um, let's see. I think it's going to be looked at as okay, but there's already a pretty big, like, um, bias against the DC movies. Yeah, so all far. the Marvel haters, right? There's like a Marvel. Didn't somebody recently come yeah. out and say, can't we all just get along? Can't we all just comic con? Yeah. <laughs> I, I know it's, it's it's crazy but like yeah i think it's just because man of steel and batman versus Superman had such like dark tones that no one really they were made for the comic book fans not for you know your average right. uh, movie watcher so there were a lot of easter eggs and that sort of stuff but which i totally understand so yeah i think people are gonna like think it's pretty good but i, th- I think i'm gonna think it's amazing so that'll be fun well time will tell the future us on a podcast will know. People will be listening and saying, oh, oh it was amazing or not so much, Chris Carpenter. My final question for both of you is, other than a donkey, your favorite small farm animal? Oh. Take your time. So many. There's lots to choose from. So many to choose from. I miss those little, those little pigs. Oh, with... <laughs> The little oh yeah oh man are just yummy um, and not post life but during life are yummy they're cute 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 that's so true you know I speaking of pigs and I feel like we can't fully discuss pigs but 
there is some pig interaction for the two of you in the film. I literally, when I, at the beginning of the podcast, I said, before you hear our conversation, you need to pause your podcast and go watch a man in chat go glamping so that you can see the scenes with Richard and Chris (laughs) so that when you hear us talking, you will have context of how well those, I mean, it's probably what, 10 minutes in the film, but it's a treat. You guys. Yeah, I will. And I, um, that's a, uh, uh, my wife saw it. We saw, you know, when I got home and we, when it came out on Friday, we downloaded it and um, watched it. And my wife sort of gasped when she saw me. She was <laughs> like, oh, baby. <laughs> uh, oh, mild so mannered local professor uh, covered in blood and dirty beard uh, teaching a child to gut a hog. Oh, it's amazing. It, it's so <laughs> well done. It's yeah, so well definitely. done. Yeah. And, you know, having the local is a very Austin thing to do to have Daidue involved, the local butcher, to make sure everything was done properly. I did that. There were a couple things on the film that I knew I was outside of my wheelhouse. One was anything butchery. The other is, even though I consider myself a lover of fine coffees, I had my friend David Salinas, who is just a coffee guru. I don't know if he would call himself a snob, but he, he's, and I mean that in the, in an endearing way, yeah. but he was literally in Europe with all these other coffee folks. And every comment about the coffee early in the film was vetted by sort of top coffee nerds. So when he says suggestions of praline, <laughs> I got that from them. That's incredible. Chris, what's your uh, small farm animal? Oh, I'd probably have to go with the little pigs, too, to be honest. Yeah, yeah it's hard to beat yep. a little pig. It's horrible. They're pretty they cute. Are. They're pretty cute. And chickens can be so mean. They can. They can. Yeah. It's not a small farm animal, but have you ever been around an ostrich? Uh, oh. Also mean. Very mean. Like, yeah. yeah. Cool to look at. Very with, gigantic. Yeah, gigantic and, and mean and not not nice. So not plus little, little, you know, we want tidbits of wisdom out of this. And one thing that we'll leave everyone with is, you know, don't try to pet an ostrich. That's our final, final (laughs) takeaway, man. I could literally talk to you guys for hours. This is so fun. Heaven. Yeah. Yeah. Richard, Chris, it makes me wish that we were back at, at green acres hanging Uh, out and, uh, (laughs) yes, me too. Yeah. So your movie is a love letter to the Texas Hill Country. And I I thank you for it because I just oh, it sent me to such a, a kind, warm, loving place. I loved it. Uh, I, I loved seeing it. It's just a love letter. Thank you. I was so honored that you would be in the film. And I think you both elevate the film in an, in an incredible way. And my only critique is you're, you're both scene stealers. You no. steal it. It's you so good. steal it. It's so good. Little bandits. Little bandits. I know. You guys in. are in there. Yeah. yeah. Stealing the scenes. I love Just it. Just go, I'll take that. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Oh, that's I'll great. This one from here. Oh. Chris, it's a pleasure to talk to you again. And I wish you good work, yeah. my friend. I wish you good Thank work. You, you well, too. Thank well, you. It's been awesome talking to you. Richard, Chris, thank you so much for being on the Stories About My Ass podcast. I appreciate it. You guys are both amazing. <laughs> thank you, Brandon. Honored to know you. Yeah, All right. Thank you for having me. Of course. Of course. Let's do it again. I feel like we uh, need Tony a, a, Hoagland, a... A great Tony Hoagland book for the listeners is 
what narcissism means to me. That's what this one's from. Yes. What narcissism means to me, that was page 26. How can you do better than that title? Well, the Uh, only way you can do better is Donkey Prophet. Isn't that another one of his books? Donkey donkey Gospel. Donkey Donkey Gospel. Gospel. Which, of course, is right into you. That was one of his early books. Yeah, Donkey Gospel. And I feel like we got one more farm animal in there right at the end. Ooh, well done. Nice. You guys take care. All right, winner. Bye-bye. All right, thanks. Cool. See ya. Towards the end of our show, I usually get a little hungry, and I like to check in with my chef daughter, Maylee, for something tasty. Today, as we often enjoy doing, we took a trip to the farmer's market. Here we are, headed to the Fredericksburg Hill Country Farmer's Market. Um, We are at the Fredericksburg Farmer's Market. Nice. Let's interview. Could I interview you guys for a podcast? I wanted to ask you, like, what your produce is and what you have available. (laughs) What what my produce is, is, you know, what's available each week we bring... And that varies all during the course of the of the market season. Uh, today we had a lot of kale and collards and radishes and the last of some peppers and uh, some nice real real nice green onions and, and the last of the green beans. How long did it take you to become certified organic? Well, we started in '90 and then uh, we've been certified organic since '93. That's great. So, uh, You're early adopter. It seems like there's kind of more people are getting interested in it, but you've been been doing it for a while. We, uh, we've been doing it for quite a while because we thought, well, we were, you know, we were raising a family and we wanted our kids to be able to be on the farm and, and not treat it like a crime scene, you know, every <laughs> yeah. time it's been sprayed. You right, know, right. Like most 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 uh, vegetable farms are. Yeah, you wanted to live there and farm That's there. right. That's right. That's fantastic. That's, as it should be. How's it going? Give us, give us your name and tell us about your amazing coffee. All right, my name is Daniel Raymer, and uh, my wife and I, we own Ranch Road Roasters, and uh, we roast coffee here in Fresburg, Texas. And uh, what my wife and I do, we buy raw beans straight from farmers, and we follow the harvest. So we uh, buy beans each year from the same farms, and um, it's been great. Uh, right now we do have Costa Rica, uh, Guatemala, uh, El Salvador, Honduras, Ecuador, Chiapas, and we toggle between uh, Tanzania and Kenya uh, pea berries, and we do the whole cycle all over again. I love it. I love it. Your this is film your big... was so wonderful. Oh, thank you. He's the guy that did uh, Amanda and Jacko glamping. I want to well, yeah. uh, the night. Oh, no worries. Yeah. I'm Brandon. Like Amanda and Jack go <coughs> glamping. That's yeah, it. Yeah. Amanda and Jack Cook And it was really well done. I mean, uh, I just, you know. This is my daughter, Maylee. She's a chef. I'm Justin. Pleasure to meet you. Justin, tell us what you got going here. What we are is we're a a pasture-based pork farm in Centerpoint, Texas. And that just means that we we raise heritage hogs. We rotate them on a pasture system that uh, exposes them to outdoor sunshine, fresh greens, and and, uh, a corn and soy-free diet. So uh, we, we've been doing that for a couple of years now, and it just produces a, a nice flavor of, of pork that's more in, the, in line with what our grandparents probably would have been doing or great-grandparents. Why do you think people should shop at a farmer's market? Oh, uh, it's, you can't beat the quality. You know where it comes from. You meet the people that grew it. Uh, it's, it's awesome. And you see all your friends. Yeah, it's great. 
Hey, how are you? Yeah, good Jacob to see you. Here. Yeah, Brandon. Brandon, that's right. Brandon, how you doing? Like, tell me why you come to a farmers market. Uh, it's a sweet environment. I mean, it's super fun. Kids are running around the park. We got these big old windmills. It's a fun environment. I love the farmers market. You're the best. That's awesome. <laughs> anyway, it's good great to see you. you. Enjoy your pizza. We will, man. All right. All right. So we're trying out the soup now. Tell me about the soup, Maylee. I think it's a butternut. Squash soup with uh, veggies and local veggies. Yes, and chickpeas. Chickpeas. Can I have a? Uh, I want to taste. Okay. Mm, yum, yum, dim sum. How's it going? I'm good. So tell me, tell me who you are. Uh, my name is Josh Raymer, and we are bread baking pizza makers at Fredericksburg Farmers Market. Tell me what you're doing. I'm making wood-fired pizzas right now with some uh, artisan uh, pepperoni, onion, pan grado, which is a fancy word for breadcrumbs, a couple different artisan cheeses. So you have a 4,000-pound brick oven with uh, wood, and we make uh, wood-fired pies. Um, yeah, every every Thursday at our local farmer's market. It's a great vehicle for, uh, you know, the reason we started doing this was because I used to come to the farmer's market as a chef and buy vegetables, and so we started doing... Um, buying like a, our soup today was made with local squash. We'll do a squash and kale and use all the great ingredients. We make pepperonata with another local farmer's great peppers, and you know, and then we put them on pizza. It's a great, it's a great vehicle for uh, for those products, you know. Tell me about that soup, cause I. Oh, did you like the soup? It was so good. good, so good. So that's a good. That's kind of what this market's about, you know. So that's uh, John Ingalls' really sweet butternut squash. So we roasted those with chili, and then uh, we made a loma, which is just like a cured loin, out of uh, our local Zanzenberg Farm pork, which cured, and then we used that as our flavor base. And then, yeah, we made chickpeas. So we had a chickpea, arugula, and squash soup. And, uh, yeah, I thought it was really nice. Nice. Nice fall soup. It's perfect. And you tell me a little bit about the transition to bread because you just decided. Yeah, yeah. I'm a, I'm a bread guy. You were a chef before. Yeah, I've always been a chef my entire life. Uh, uh, something something like 24 years in restaurants, and we could not get really good bread out here. So we decided to make our own, and uh, I became obsessed with bread, and that obsession grows. So now you know we're growing our own wheat. We're going to be milling our own flour this this year. We're working with local uh, farmers and a local miller in, in Austin, which is really exciting. And uh, yeah, so uh, we're into we're into the bread, no doubt. It's great. And we get bread from you made weekly and pick it up at the coffee shop at the roasters. I am the village baker. That was kind of what it's. It was a romantic idea, and I've been lucky to be able to, you know, get away with doing it in a small town. I think we're. We're small enough, but somehow we're vibrant enough that it's it's worked out. So yeah, I've been doing it for five years now, and it's been really, really cool. You know, it's pretty incredible. And I appreciate it, man. Absolutely, right, thanks. Buddy. Thank appreciate you. It. Yeah, enjoy your pizza. Yeah, we'll do. And our soup. Have a good one. Okay. I found out it was spicy, so it's very spicy. The pizza spicy. Okay, so this would be a pepperoni pizza. With some specialness on it, how would you describe it visually for those who can't see? Well, it's not a perfect circle because it was cooked in a little stone oven. It looks very crunchy and appetizing, but it's very spicy. Okay, I'm going to take a first bite. You ready? And it's a little oily, but it tastes good. It's okay. Oh, wow. That is spicy. 
Yeah, I took a bite, and then I found out it was spicy. So, I love spicy, but how do you feel about spicy? Meh. Meh? Meh. Not so spicy. Although there's certain spicy that you do like, actually, right? Yeah. I'll like salsa spicy, but, like, yeah. if it's just, like, a dry spicy, I don't like it. <laughs> Maylee, this pizza is crazy tasty. Yes. As promised, I give you a little tidbit of wisdom from Miniature Donkey Ownership, and I will let you know that if you have other animals, like we had alpacas along with donkeys, make sure you check with your local feed store about what kind of treats to give them that is healthy for both of them, because some food that's good for donkeys is not good for alpacas. For example, I believe alfalfa is great for alpacas, but too much alfalfa is not good for miniature donkeys. I bet you didn't know that. Also, I would highly recommend finding some sort of treat that they love, 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 and then withholding it for times where you really need them to be somewhere. For example, if they escape, you can present their special treat and hopefully get them back in. Easier said than done. That is our show for today. Our show is produced by Chris Mann, Jeff Carpenter, and myself. Be sure and subscribe and review and share the podcast with your friends. It really helps us out. And tune in next week when you'll hear... Sweet, man, you've got a big boy back here. <laughs>